Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. If you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to one of my favorite passages about the Christmas season, one of my favorite passages. You will find it in 1 John, 1 John chapter 4 this morning, 1 John chapter 4. We're not looking for the gospel of John up in the front of the New Testament, but towards the back, right before you get to the book of Revelation, back in the neighborhood of Peter and all that, you're going to find the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. Once you have found 1 John chapter 4, we'll be reading from the 7th verse there, from the 7th verse of 1 John chapter 4. So once you have found that, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the reading of God's word this morning, honoring the reading of his words, 1 John. Chapter 4, starting in verse number 7, and it reads like this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, nor for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Father, this morning, we ask Your blessing upon the reading and the hearing of Your Word. Now, Father, we ask that You make very much of Yourself in our presence this morning and the understanding of this Word. Do that by making very little of me and very much of You. It's in the name of the Word, your Son, Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I think about the Christmas story, there's always been a question that's come to my mind. I think we actually talked about it this morning in our Sunday school class. What is that question? Why this baby? Why this baby? Why would God choose to have a baby be the centerpiece of his redemption story for humanity. Wasn't there a better way? I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it have been better if he'd have sent in a conquering king like, like the Jews thought would happen with a Messiah that would ride into the town? Or, or wouldn't it have been better if he'd have sent this prophet? <laughs> Maybe even better if he'd have sent some dynamic leader that really just drew people to himself. Why choose to send a baby? Why a baby born in a manger of an unwed couple? Why why a baby? To answer that question, we must look at Christmas, I believe, from God's point of view. You know, we tend to look at things through our own eyes and, and how we see it and from our earthly standpoint. But I wonder how God sees Christmas. You know, I think there's three questions we'll try and answer this morning. What is it about Christmas that gives us a picture of who Jesus or who God is? What is it about Christmas that gives us a picture of who we are? And and what is it about Christmas that gives us a picture of what God wants us to be? You see, because it's more than just a story of a baby in a manger to an unwed couple. It's a story of redemption and glorification for God. It's redemption for us, and it's done for the glory of God. Let's start with that first question. What is it about Christmas that gives us a picture of who God is? Let's think about who wrote 1 John first and foremost. 
1 John is written by the Apostle John. It's the same Apostle who had written that Gospel of John. It's the same Apostle who had walked with Jesus, who had talked with Jesus. He was part of that inner circle that was taken away from the others at times to spend time in the presence of Jesus. It was that, it was that disciple that just loved Jesus with everything that he was. And, and if there's one thing that's prevalent in all of John's writings, whenever you read John's writings, there's one thing that's prevalent in all of his writings. He believed that God is a loving God. How do we know that? We know this by the way he even describes himself in the Gospel of John. It's interesting. He doesn't usually use his name, but he uses this phrase like he does in, in John 13, 23, when he writes about those that are sitting at the table with Jesus. They're, they're sitting around there. And, and in this passage at the end, and he, says, and, and he says this, there was at the table reclining in Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. You know, that was one of John's favorite phrases about himself. He saw this, this Jesus as loving him. This God is loving him through this man, Jesus. And he often talked about that love when he spoke of himself and, and when he was in the presence of, of Jesus. I think what, a, what an awesome thing it would have been to walk with true love on the earth. That, that's exactly what John was in the presence of. Whether it was in the masses as he talked whether it was with the twelve as they sat around the table, whether it was with the three, Peter, James, and John, as they pulled to the side, whether it was seeing Jesus as he walked through the village and the lady reached through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment and be healed. Think of all the things that, that John had seen that proved to him that, that this Jesus loved humanity. You see, and he... He knew that this love was not some superficial love as we have it today. I mean, let's face it. We talk about love today. We really only love those that are beneficial to us. That's, that's the way most of us love. We say we love a person, but when that person does something to hurt us, love switches to hate so quickly. That, that's not love. See, what, what John loved to me was was someone that loved regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the person, regardless of their status. And that was a picture of Jesus. It wasn't some superficial love. It, it was a deep, very devoted, self-sacrificing love that he felt through this Jesus. And, and, and it drew him to God. You know what it's... At this point that he's, he's given us this picture in, in 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4, when he says this in verse 8, he says, He who does not, or who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Never take that to the leftist extreme that, that makes you think that God is so much love that there is no justice. Because wrapped up in that word love is the idea that it's a two-sided coin. One side is the extreme love of Christ for us. But at the same time, rejection of that love brings the opposite side of that coin, which is justice and judgment. For is there, if there is no judgment upon sin, there is no love because he chooses to. Without there being judgment, there is no love. So it says that God is love. And if, if we do not love, we, we do not know Him. He brings this picture of love 
it. He, he relates the fruit of, of love in our lives to, to this intimate knowledge of who God is. He, he says that if, if you have love, it's, it's evidence that you know God. If you do not have love, it's also evidence that you do not know God. Explains a lot going on in our society today now, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't it? And it's at this point that he, he points out to us that there is this contrast between those who love and those who do not love. And, and the connecting factor in, in knowing who is of God and who is not of God is, is their love. It is, it is their love. John understood what, what God intended when he created man. Think about it for a minute. Why send a baby in the manger for worthless individuals such as us who have chosen to turn our back on an almighty God who loves us? You know, we love our children regardless, regardless of what they do. We love them. We may have some folks, our husband, our wife, someone in our family we love regardless of what they do. But if I put myself in God's shoes and I was honest with you, I would have a tough time. I would have a tough time with the creation that I, I put in place and gave them everything that turned their back on me. I would have a tough time saying... I love you so much, I'll allow my son to die for you. But, but why did he do that? Why did he send a baby? Why did he do it for us? I think you would have to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible to figure out the answer to that question. Think about Genesis. Think about the book of Genesis and how this whole story started. See, there's only a need for a redemption story because of a creation story. There's only a need for a redemption story because of a fall story. And thank God there is a redemption story that one day will lead to a restoration story. A restoration story for all who believe in Christ that have fallen after creation. It will be restored to a relationship with God. You see, if you think back to that creation story, it explains a lot for me. Because in Genesis 1.27 it says, So God created man in his own image. <laughs> in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's a lot of words in that. There's a lot of truth in that statement. You want to know why there was a baby? See, often we read that passage and we, we read right through it. okay, God created and, and he did all those things great. But what was his purpose? What was his purpose? It starts by saying that we were created in the image of God. The image of God. What is this image of God that he created us in? What is this image of God? Think about God for a minute. Let me give you some theological, theological truths, if I could say it, about this God. There's one thing we know and believe to be true about God, that God is a triune God. That means He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is one God in three distinct persons. So there's this one God, this Godhead. What is the relationship inside of this Trinity? If there is one God made up of three persons, what is the relationship inside of the Trinity? You think about it for a minute. In that relationship, as in any healthy relationship, we see a relationship of love. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought there was love within the Trinity? I know it to be true. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know it to be true. How do I know it to be true? Because one of the Trinity said in John 5:20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself has done. Why would Jesus say that he was loved by the Father if it wasn't true that there was love within the Trinity? Think about that when you think about God created you 
in his image. See, the image of God is an image of a love relationship within the Trinity. And if we are made in the image of God, we're made to have a love relationship with God. That's why he made us. He created us on earth to love him because he loved us. We were to be the object of his love and the lover of him. See, that's why when John writes in this gospel in 1421, he says, He who has my commandments and keep them, it is he who loves me. This is Jesus speaking. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, he says. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. See the connection? See the connection we're to have with God? It is a love relationship. It is a love relationship that comes out of obedience comes out of obedience why this baby what is it about christmas that gives us a picture of of who god is one simple statement it's god's way of saying to you i love you what what do we see about god in christmas he looks you in the eye and he says i love you second What is it about Christmas that gives us a picture of who we are? In that 1 John 4 passage, in the 10th verse it says this, And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. John takes what he knows to be true about God, and he looks at what he knows to be true about himself, And true about each of us. (laughs) You see, he says, in this is love. In this. What is the in this? Reminds me of something that Jesus said himself. See, Jesus defined what it really meant to love someone from his own lips. In John 15, 13, he says this, Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his own life for his friends. See, Jesus paints this picture of what it means to love. When Jesus explained that our relationship should be to others, he he tells us that, that we are to love them with everything, everything we have. Because that's what he did. What more can you give than your life? Is there anything else you have? That is more valuable than your life. And he he brings it into the picture of what he's he's going to do. What he's about to do as he's he's telling this story in John uh, chapter 15. He starts painting this picture of what he's doing for them. And and by extension he tells us what we're to do. He he says this is what I'm about to do. You're my disciple. You're, You're a follower of me. You do as I do. And he says that we're to love others with our very life. You know, most sin in our life is caused because we love ourselves more than we love anything else. Let's face it. We love ourselves more than we love our neighbor. We get right down to it. We love ourselves more than we love our family. We get right down to brass tacks. We love ourselves more than we love God. That's why we sin. That's why we sin. (laughs) Because we love ourselves. Jesus said, if you really want to know what love is, stop loving yourself. And love God with everything that you are. And by extension, love your neighbor as you used to love yourself. (laughs) 
See, this is not a superficial love that he's, that he's talking about. It's, 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 it's not the superficial love that we even see in this world today. We, we have people tell us that they, they love us. It's not about the, the loving out of our excess. You know, you know at Christmas time, you kind of get this giving spirit. You want to help others. How many of us would take the Christmas trees or the presents from underneath our Christmas tree we have wrapped up for our grandkid and take it to the guy down the street that can't afford to buy any and tell our grandkid, sorry. We loved on our neighbor. We love you every day. No, we'll be glad to take the extra and give it away. But when are we going to give when it hurts? You know, it's not about helping when it's convenient. You know, it's, it's easy sometimes to, to go help someone when you don't have anything on your schedule. But what if it stops your whole world? What if, what if you're headed to something really important and you know somebody needs help and you have to explain to, to your family, I would love to be there, but, but there's somebody that needs something. So it would be more convenient for it to be where I'm supposed to be, but I need to be where God wants me. You know, it's, it's not just caring when it's easy either. You know, sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's tough to care for someone, especially when they're going through something difficult in their life or a loss of a, of a loved one, and it's tough. It's tough to sit there. It's tough to be the shoulder that they cry on. But you know what? True love is loving when it's not easy. See, it's, it's not sharing. It's not caring. It's not loving when it costs you nothing. You see, he says, in this love... In this love is, is giving when it costs you everything. <laughs> and what did loving cost God? What did loving cost God? He says in the second part of that 10th verse, after he says, in this love, he says, but he loved us and sent his son. In order for God to love you and me, in order for him to say, I love you down through the ages, what must he do? <laughs> he must give his son. For us, the son that Jesus himself said the father loved. The son that was, was not created, but was the creator. <laughs> the son that's eternal, had forever been with the father. It wasn't like when he became a baby, he just showed up on the scene. That's when he put on flesh. The son... The son that willingly laid aside his right for deity and robed himself in flesh. Why? Because God loves us. And why did he have to give his only son? He goes on in that 10th verse to say, to be the propitiation for our sins. <laughs> propitiation. How many of you have used that in a sentence this week, anybody? It's not one that we carry around in our back pocket and use very often. So what does the word mean? It's best understood, if you, if you look at the way it's used throughout Scripture, it's best understood as appeasement or satisfaction. That's what it is, appeasement or satisfaction. It's used by the writer of Hebrews when he explains the atoning sacrifice that was given at the, at the temple by the high priest. In Hebrews 2.17 it says, Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, put on flesh, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, 
to make propitiation for the sins of his people. The writer of Hebrews was speaking about this Jesus and he was painted in a picture that was familiar in the terminology of the Jews. See, the Jews understood temple worship. He painted this picture of Jesus' sacrifice, the the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He painted it in a picture that the Jews would understand. They would have understood that this high priest would sacrifice a lamb on the Day of Atonement to signify to signify the appeasement for their sins before a holy God. They would have understood this. They would have seen it happen in the temple time and time again over their lifetime. They would know what it meant to have the penalty of their sins satisfied by a sacrificial offering of the Lamb. Remember, one was offered. The blood was placed on the mercy seat. One was released into the wilderness after the high priest laid his hands on him and And the sin was carried away for a year. And that's the picture that these Jews had. And as as the writer of Hebrews now took that picture from the temple and the lamb and the high priest. And he laid it right on our new high priest. Our new mercy seat. Our new temple. John uses that same thought when he speaks of God's love for us and the giving of his son to satisfy. To satisfy the penalty for our sins. So, So what is this picture What is the picture we see about us in all of this? You see, there was only one need for propitiation for sins. It's because we had sinned. You see, never forget that baby had no need to be born if you and I had not have sinned. So the first picture that you see of us there is that we're sinners. And and just like the people of Israel had the blood of the sacrificial lamb and it was sprinkled on that mercy seat of the ark that was in the holy of holies, we need the blood of the sacrificial lamb sprinkled on the mercy seat for us. Thank goodness there is only one lamb, one sacrifice made for all of mankind. It is not something that ever gets repeated again. It's not on a yearly day of atonement. It was on the day that this baby had grown to fulfillment. And the day of fulfillment had come and he was hung upon a cross. He was pierced for our iniquities. He shed his blood to pay the price for our sins. And that blood, that blood from his body was the offering, was the blood that washed away our sins. See, Jesus not only supplied the blood that was required for forgiveness, but the Bible points to the fact that he became our mercy seat. What an awesome picture. And on that mercy seat, the blood was sprinkled by the high priest who Jesus now is. Jesus became everything. Everything for the forgiveness of our sins. And he did this because we sinned. And he did it because God loved us. What is about Christmas that gives us a picture of God? God looks down through eternity and says, I love you. What is it about Christmas that gives us a picture of us? (laughs) We're very unlovable. Yet, even though we have sinned against a holy God, he wants us to have a love relationship with him. So third, what is it about Christmas that gives us a picture of what God wants us to be? One verse left that we read this morning, and that's the 11th verse. And it says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
This is where life gets tough. You know, for many of you, it's very easy to believe that God is a God of love. You've experienced that. For very many of you, you have come to the mercy seat and been sprinkled with the blood. Yet, there's a world that does not know the love of Christ. See, 1 John 4.11 tells us two ways the truth of Christmas should change our lives for eternity. He starts off by saying, Beloved, if God so loved us. <laughs> to be a beloved, we must be loved by God. To be a beloved, a beloved we must be loved. And John has made it clear <laughs> that God loves you. He's made it clear through his writings. Christ made it clear that God loves you by coming. There is no doubt. No doubt in my mind. No doubt in Scripture. No doubt in the heart of God that He loves you. The most famous words that ever flowed from the pen of John speaks of that love. And it's John 3. You probably know it by heart. You probably learned it as a child. And it's the 16th and 17th verse that says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but shall have everlasting life. For He says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God did His part. He loved you. He loves you. He sent His only begotten Son as proof. God's desire for you is that you would receive this gift of His Son that you might be saved. To reject, to reject Jesus Christ brings condemnation. God will never send you to hell. But He'll allow you to go if you so choose. He sent His only begotten Son that your relationship to Him could be mended. Do you understand that the belief in a baby in a manger will not save you? The belief that that baby grew to be a perfect, sinless man and walked this earth like we walk the earth? Do you understand believing that? will not save you. The belief that he died a horrible death on a cross will not save you. It's not what the Bible says. It says you must confess with your mouth that he is Lord of your life and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. The manger is a precursor to what he did and why he came. He came because God loves you and he desires a love relationship with you and wants you to be saved from your sins. God's love shown towards us in the baby in the manger culminates in the greatest expression of his love. And that's in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And why? He says that we may have eternal life. John tells us 
the first way of God's love should change our life by saving us from our sin. If we are beloved, there is a second way our life should be changed for all of eternity. The second way that our life should be changed for all of eternity is in the last half of that 11th verse when it says, we also ought to love one another. If we've received the gift of love in our lives, then we should be a conduit of that love out to others. Others should know the love of Christ because of how it indwells us and how it has changed our life. See, we should love as Christ loved, self-sacrificing. The thought of God sending His Son at Christmas should bring great joy. should bring great joy in your heart. It's like David said in one of the darkest times of his life. He says, God, well up within me the joy of my salvation. Remind me of that which you have done. In fact, the baby in the manger is said to be joy to the world. Should be joy to the world. Why is that joy to the world not evident in the world today? It's a real simple answer. <laughs> because the beloved have not been a conduit of God's love to a lost and dying world. Let's face it. Why does the world not have the joy of the love of Christ? <laughs> it's because we haven't been a conduit of that love to the world. See, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, I believe it is. He says, let all that you do be done with love. He again writes in Romans 12, I believe it's Romans 12, 9, when he says, let love be without hypocrisy. <laughs> Don't be two-faced. And in, in John, in 1 John 3, 18, he says, my little children, as if he's instructing those that are growing in the Lord, and he says, my little children, let us not love in word and tongue. Let's not just talk about it. He says, but in deed and in truth. If you know the love of God by the gift of His only begotten Son, we're to show that love to the world that others may come into a love relationship with Him. How do we do that? By loving one another. Not just in words, but as Christ loved us. In deeds and in truth. We're going to end the service a little different than you're accustomed to this morning. I can tell you, it's going to make a few of you uncomfortable. Good. We should be. I'm going to ask Diane and Eliana to come, and they're going to play one of my favorite Christmas songs. It's called Joy to the World. And as they come, I'm going to ask everyone in the room if you would be so kind as to Bow your head and close your eyes this morning. I'm not going to ask you to turn to a hymn. I'm not going to ask you to stand and sing. I'm going to ask you to think about something this morning. I want you to answer a couple of questions in your mind. Are you seeking love in your life this morning? Is there something that you can look at in your life and you say, you know... As much as I have friends, as much as I have family, as much as I have the things of this world, there's just something missing. 
This morning I believe it is love. If there's no joy in your heart, it could be because you have no love in your heart. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever received the love of God given to you in His Son for the forgiveness of your sins? It's a simple question. See, has there ever been a time in your life that you've asked Jesus to come into your heart and that you've accepted Him as both Lord and Savior? Maybe you realize there's no love in your life because there's no Jesus in your life this morning. See, when they play in a few minutes, as every head's bowed and every eye's closed, if the prayer of your heart is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior this morning, I want you to get up from wherever you are. Just tap the person next to you and say, I need to slide by. And I want you to come this morning. And I want you to do as Scripture says. If you've believed in your heart that He has been raised from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins, then I want you to come this morning and confess with your mouth that to be true. And you know what the Bible says? If you do that, you will be saved. Maybe this morning you know that Jesus is your Savior. And you know that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart. But as you look at your life this morning, you realize that the second half of that great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, which is to love your neighbor as yourself, is not the evidence of your life. You realize you're not being what God wants you to be, a conduit of love to others. Again, as they play this morning, I want you to get up from where you're sitting, and I want you to come to the altar, and I want you to repent and ask God for forgiveness. You see, because Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, that's proof that you love me. He's commanded us to love others as he's loved us. And to truly know the love of the Father in our life at this Christmas season, we must be obedient to that which He commands us to do. So let this Christmas season be a time of joy because you know the love of God. For God demonstrated His love for you in the giving of His Son. And He gave His Son to pay the penalty for you for your sin. And to know the love of God and the forgiveness of your sins should cause you to show the love of God to others. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.